podcast is sponsored by Damo Ingredients, who provide best-in-class functional ingredients such as starches, proteins, fibres and gums, to name but a few, into food manufacturers across the UK and Ireland. I've worked with Dama on various projects for my own brand and with my clients. And what I love about working with them is their in-depth technical knowledge and their ability to apply that to the specific products that you're actually working on. So they become an extension to your own development team, supporting them with their knowledge from concept through to launch. To find out more, visit www.dama.com. Welcome to the O for Food's Sake podcast, where we unwrap the joys and struggles of working in the food industry so you can thrive in what you do best while sustaining a rewarding and fulfilling career or business. We are your hosts, Lucy Wager, food industry consultant, and Amy Wilkinson, food industry coach. We've worked in the food industry for the last 20 years, and we're here to share with you the benefit of our hindsight. Our podcast is for you to find new ways to cope with the daily struggles, but mostly to inspire you to work on what's not working to ultimately improve your career or business long term. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Over Food's Sake. Today, we have a wonderful guest who I've had the pleasure of meeting, who is um, Corin Toyne, who is the founder of Chickpea Marketing. Hello there. How are you doing? Hello. Hi. Hi. So, so welcome to the podcast. We met, we've met through the internet, the power of the internet as we all, as we often do, but we also have a mutual friend who is, um, that you're working with through the Flourishing Food mentoring scheme as well, don't you? So she'd been telling me how wonderful you were. We got talking, I can't remember if it was on LinkedIn or Instagram. And I love, like, we were talking about podcast guests, we were talking about all the stuff, amazing stuff you're doing. And you just put yourself out there and went, well, I could come on the podcast. And I flipping oh. loved it. I flipping loved that. And I was just like, I've <laughs> just been you. hearing some great things about you. Louis Bedwell from Mission yeah. Ventures was talking to us about you. So we know that yeah. you are a woman to watch in the food You're industry. You're a mover so- and shaker, clearly. <laughs> we <laughs> love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> so that means- so much coming from you both as well. That's amazing. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so tell us about you. Tell well, tell the listeners about you. Tell us about who you are, um, what you do, and your career history and how you've got to doing what you're doing now. Yeah, thank you. So yes, yeah, so, so who am I? <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> so um I guess from a young age I loved food. Um, I think anyone that works in the food and drink industry, you know, starts out absolutely having a passion about food and um, always love science as well. So uh, when it sort of came to thinking about my career, I thought I'd combine my love of food with science and study dietetics. So, so when I went out and looking, you know, different places to go to in terms of universities, went to a food conference and managed to see loads of kind of big players in the food and drink industry and immediately fell in love with the whole you know, working for an industry and, and, and having that wider level impact on population health through food. So that kind of really led me down a path of, of um, you know, working in the food industry. But because I love that clinical side and, and working with patients, I wanted to study nutrition and dietetics. Um, so did that at University of Surrey. And whilst I was there, I did take an internship at the Detox Kitchen as well, which was kind of alongside my clinical placements. 
and that again really augmented my love for working in the food industry and um yeah kind of doing different areas of new product development and marketing so when i actually graduated um i did work for nhs for about a year and sort of consolidated my clinical skills and really enjoyed that but that kind of burning desire to work in the food industry right from the, when i first went to uni was was still there so um, I ended up kind of looking at jobs in the industry and my first graduate job was at Abbott. Um, so they're a medical nutrition uh, company, a global healthcare company. And um, I worked in a medical affairs team and it's kind of alongside marketing and regs. And that was really interesting because I was actually working alongside the people that produce the products that I used as a dietitian. So oh, when you work as a dietitian, yeah. yeah, in clinical practice, you kind of prescribe nutritional supplements and, you know, enteral uh, feeds for tube feeding with patients and things like that so I was actually on the production side of things so that was a really good introduction to the food industry and then after that I sort of worked um, at Marks and Spencers for a short while in the trends team and I absolutely loved that Marks Spencers is an absolute dream quite, um, quite a shift there from like yeah. working in sort of halfway into the clinical world into like the world of food retail yeah yeah because yeah, they're quite different yeah. sides different sides of the food industry really Re- yeah completely and I think going into it from you know from that clinical perspective it was a huge jump I didn't really know that many people wanting to do that because normally if you want to work in the food industry you kind of you do other courses that are more sort of aligned to that so you know food technology or um even like nutrition with a food industry placement but the, i was kind of i loved the clinical side and i hadn't decided yet so mm. when i did come to that point in my life i was like i have to really make a big jump yeah it was yeah quite, quite difficult to navigate um but yeah i kind of it was just through having building my network i think i realized right when i was at university the only way that i'm going to really forge a career is if i actually get myself out there and I love chatting to people, networking. So the kind of MS job actually came about through like a kind of network connection. Oh, so, that's really interesting. Because yeah. it's yeah. because going from the role that you were doing into a trends role within a retailer is an is a huge like if you went into a sort of nutrition based role within the retailer, then that that would be sort of a you could sort of yeah. see the stepping stone. But that is a is a very different route. And I think what happened was it was prior to COVID. It was in 2020. So it's actually just before COVID came in. And, um, you know, obviously can't speak for MS now, but they were definitely, I do see them as like innovators. They obviously have a huge product development team and they've got a lot Mm -hmm. of resource to to really pave the way in, you know, what they want to produce, um, you know, the lines they want to create. So, you know, health was becoming much more of a, something on the agenda and so mm. whereas a dietitian I actually think they were quite interested in that skill set yes having the insight and health and nutritional yeah. needs and how that then correlates to, to correlated to trends so I think that's what the appeal was for them yeah and yeah ha- so that's kind of how it all came about but I loved that so much because it, as you say, it was completely different. A lot of market research, going out to food safaris. Like I managed to pick up a lot of skills that I would never have even realised I would have needed. Yeah. Food mm. it, and did it did it consolidate your interest in that part of the food industry as well? Because it's it's such a fun. Like my, I'm just lighting yeah. up because this is like my 
area of love for the food industry. So I'm like, oh, what a good choice to move into the trends department of m and <laughs> Completely. I, I loved it so much. And I actually thought I was going to go down an MPD route. I thought, you know, my career was actually going towards product development. Um, but unfortunately, because of COVID, that's why that, that job was quite short term. Um, wow. So things changed. And I had to kind of look for another job really sadly because, um, yeah, I absolutely loved working there. But um, I managed to get, you know, an amazing job in my next um, kind of stage of my career. And I worked at, um, got a job at a company called Wiseo Group, who um, one of their brands is Benicol. I don't know if you've heard okay. of them before, mm-hmm. but it's a cholesterol, cholesterol-lowering yogurts and spreads yeah. and yeah, yeah. ranges of foods. And they contain um, plant sanals, which essentially lower cholesterol. And um, I worked in kind of their comms team and they they kind of asked me to manage the UK market for healthcare professional marketing. So okay. again, yeah. quite a niche subset yeah. of, of the food industry. And rather than the target audience being consumers, actually... I was, you know, working and building relationships with with doctors, um, nurses, dietitians. So even that in itself was like another niche. um, Yeah, yeah. But bridging quite a good gap in your skill set in that you have got that clinical experience, marketing experience, and then the the end product of Benicol, like a really good like. Yeah. Really good experience. It's incredible. I've actually just written that, I've written a note to myself because I need you to speak to a client that I'm working with at the moment. So I'm just <laughs> I, knew, I knew that was going to happen because I know well, what's going on with, with your clients. Well, healthcare professional marketing is is still something that I think is relatively untapped into. We could we could have a whole yeah. other conversation on that, but you know, I think a lot. You know, it is quite different because the audience is completely different, and the messaging is completely different, but the principles of marketing are very much the same. Mm. And if we, I think, you know, you can need to do education with healthcare professional, basically it's all about adding value and um, beyond the product. So, or service or, you know, so I, I love that. And it gave me a kind of t- dip my toes, shall we say, into marketing through that role. Um, it gave me a little bit of management experience as well. And I then decided to do a CIM course in marketing because I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of that that really sowed the seed of, okay, marketing is my thing. Like I really want to do this. And um, then I made the decision to, you know, launch Chickpea Marketing and here I am now. So that's Amazing. Kind of me. This is so cool. And I just want to say, Amy and I did a um, live podcast at Foodex and we were asked a question. We were talking about our toolkit for resilience in the food industry. And I think your description of what you've just done just sums up a lot of the stuff that we were talking about, Amy, because the fact that you were sort of so open to moving into different things. But the thing that really stuck out for me was your um, using your network and yeah. how you've, you know, utilize the people that you know to help with this like stepping stone, which is quite un- yeah. an unconventional career path, really, that you've done quite Definitely. quickly. Mm. Um, think, thank you. Thank you. I mean, the thing is, is because the roles in nutrition are, I think it's getting better, but definitely, you know, when I graduated, there was opportunity, but it's very hard to find. And mm. you know, LinkedIn wasn't as big as a thing. Often the, the job roles are kind of, you know, very strange titles that you wouldn't generically search for in LinkedIn. So you kind of have to do a lot of digging. And the only way that you can really, you know, get traction is if you know someone that can guide you. So yeah you know go, right, going back to the mentor scheme like that Amy mentioned with, with flourishing food those types of opportunity are just invaluable because yeah. if 
by speaking to someone and learning about you know their path and them giving you advice you just you just gain like such like gold nuggets of information so i'm a big believer of put, you know put yourself out there and just chat to as many people as you can and it doesn't always have to be transactional you know it can just be a chat yeah. So, yeah, because you never know where it might lead to. And, you know, exactly. we have this chat now and I might think in six months time, oh, yeah, I, she mentioned something about that. And that that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, we should have had you there yesterday because there was a girl in the audience that um, yes. was was still a placement student, and she was asking for advice on uh, starting a career. But a lot of what you've said is, you know, we were like, don't be afraid to try new and different things, and really yeah. um, start to like take take time to reflect on each role and what are your passions and you know you'll find you'll find your route and it sounds like that's exactly what you've done mm. so you found your passion you. now and your <laughs> and so t- so tell us about chickpea marketing because i love what your ethos is about and everything so tell the listeners all about chickpea marketing and what you're all about thank you honestly that means so much to me because you know it's we launched in January and I, I always speak in plural, I say we, it's, it's just me, I'm the one man, <laughs> man. Um, but I have, I've been really fortunate to hire an intern actually, but that's another conversation. But yeah, Chickpea Marketing is um, marketing nutrition consultancy um, on a mission to grow food and drink brands that are just as passionate about health as I am. And what I've kind of noticed over the past few years is that consumers are demanding healthier and more sustainable options. And health has a kind of greater impact on purchasing decisions than ever before. So it's kind of driving demand. So there are more companies and food and drink brands um, being born out of this ethos of, you know, we want to be healthier. Um, And the other aspect, you know, that kind of fueled me to do and and launch Chickpea Marketing was because I see so much kind of, we call it nutrient nonsense online where, there's so many things going around in the media about food and drinks, you know, what's healthy, what isn't healthy. And so many consumers fall down the trap of fad dieting. And even though brands can have the best of intentions at heart in terms of, you know, pitching their product as, as healthy or, you know, using claims, sometimes they can be act- inaccurate. And, you know, in marketing that can use can cause a lot of confusion. So as a dietitian, I really want to bring in that kind of, you know, nutritional knowledge and the evidence-based side of nutrition along with my more commercial experience in the marketing to, to champion that evidence-based nutrition through the power of marketing strategy, you know, brand implementation and tactics. And I just want to use my insight to kind of get to the core of what the nutritional need is, you know, reach those target audiences and then help companies essentially grow through that. But by, you know, at the same time, having a positive impact on health and sustainability, because sustainability is obviously, I'm really passionate about health as a dietitian. But I do think sustainability has to be involved in that conversation because they kind of go hand in hand. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So you're, so you're really targeting and, and you will only work with brands that are doing something to, to help better the health of the nation or, or just, I'm guessing you'd happily work with people from <laughs> throughout the world, but you know, um, let's start, you know, let's not, <laughs> I knew I need a few months in. Yeah. But, and I, and I, you know, it's not a kind of me, me versus other companies, but I think mm. when you first start a business, it's like, you have to, I, I found that I have to niche down because yeah. obviously there's about a million amazing marketeers in the world. I could do, what I'm doing if not better but you know what I do have is that I'm a dietitian and that's kind mm, of I see that yeah. as my, my 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 kind of you know northern north star that that guides everything I do because 
ultimately I just want to work with people that are just as passionate about making a yeah. positive impact and it's, and it's really yeah. important because those brands that do have that are are producing a product which is healthier sometimes they don't know which messages are the best messages to talk about mm-hmm. so having a marketing partner that understands like really understands the nutritional side is so helpful it's like yeah. this is such a brilliant idea yeah i i think you know my years of working in marketing and you know if you've gone down if you've gone down a traditional marketing route which i didn't you know i i had my factory background and everything and that really helped because i could help the team understand the reasons why we wouldn't be doing something because you know of the capability of the factory or you know understood the mpd process and what you're bringing in is that that knowledge you know very few pure marketeers are going to have that dietetics and nutrition background so it's it's you know it's it's brilliant and i can just you know i just think of so many of the businesses that i work with that could really do with some help in this sort Mm. of area Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And one one aspect of, you know, um, you know, the market that I'd really love to support is those kind of small to medium brands that are mm-hmm. just starting out on their mm-hmm. journey. And, you know, if I could help them get it right from the beginning and use, you know, evidence based claims and really focus on what's important, that would that would be amazing. But I just think, you know, with startups, it's always, you know, finance is always an issue. So it's not marketing isn't the first thing they'd invest in. Mm-hmm. Um, some brands will, some won't. But I think, you know, it, it totally depends on the individual and the brand. And if I can help in any way, you know, through my skill set, that's honestly makes me really happy. Well, it also, you, you they get in double bubble with you, right? Because <laughs> you've got that nutrition. You know, yeah. I'm just thinking yeah. if it's a health-driven brand, um, they're going to get, you know, that but both skill sets if they're yeah. working with and you. That's, that, that's what's um, so important because, you know, our, those um, small to medium startups are who I work with as well and I'm just sat here thinking you know that this is what a startup needs they need you know it is getting two things two things for the price of one basically because you're you're giving that experience and the knowledge of the nutrition because I've worked with brands a lot a lot of the brands that I work with have like a sort of health aspect because a lot of challenge brands are coming into the market because they are addressing the issues that are in the industry which generally are about health but as you say there's always that challenge about cost but I think the beauty of what you do is that you can help them with so much more than just a traditional sort of marketing mix yeah I mean mean, and I hope so I mean as I said I think you know there's so many amazing marketeers out there but I think if there's a a specific type of brand that's really looking for yeah you know they want to stand out and they want to be able to tell their story in a way that's kind of that really resonates with the end mm. consumer when if it's something related to nutrition and health and obviously because i have experience of actually being in front of a patient and listening to them and talking about mm, their, yes their yeah, nutrition issues difference. completely so yeah. i think it's kind of it's not it's kind of merging the marketing and nutrition in one service so every yes. i work with i've it's kind of almost like a simultaneous thing. It just comes together. So yeah, yeah, it's been really interesting so far. I've managed to work with some kind of really interesting clients. um, Mm. So it's been good. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess um, because you've got that background and you've got that clinical background, you've been there and you can, you know, thinking about 
you know, public health and all of all. <laughs> I, um, I'm stuttering over my words because I think what I'm trying to get to is I would really like to understand your take on the role, you know, so, we, you know, we, the NHS has got a role in public health. The government's got a mm-hmm. role in um, public health, but the food industry has as well. And where, where, where do you see all of that mix? Yeah, I actually, I love this question because this is a really important topic and but equally so difficult to answer with, with one straight solution. And I think there's been a lot of conversation about this, especially recently, and it's led by some kind of amazing figures such as Henry Dimbleby, who um, was you know a part of the National Food Strategy and fantastic organisations like the Food Foundation. And... So, so take take obesity for example, because that's one of you know our nation's you know biggest health issues. I think obesity rates were kind of one in ten in nineteen seventeen. Now they're one in three. So clearly we have you know huge issue. And what what we're doing to to counteract that is clearly not working at the moment. So I think it's driven by like a number of things. We've got you know the human biology side of things and the lifestyle and, and global food systems. But I think the, the one of the bigger kind of more concerning areas is the fact that it's really concentrated in areas of kind of lower socioeconomic status. So mm-hmm. there's that. And then, you know, the other side of it is it's really pre- the rising prevalence is really concerning among children. So that, again, so that's another aspect that, you know, I think the government has a huge role to play in. But the government did release you know, its obesity strategy in 2020, and that included the HFS um, legislation and that's currently in motion although it's kind of delayed at the moment um, but as a nation it's really difficult because we do emphasize market freedom so there's kind of blame or shall we say the responsibility is put on the individual because mm-hmm. it's kind of we say to the individual regardless of your situation you know um, it's your fault and it's it's, it's down to your behavior mm-hmm. actually it's, it's so much of it is our environment Mm-hmm. And that's obviously where the food and drink industry and the government and even education steps in. So I think bottom line is that, as I said, it's, it's such a difficult thing to, to pinpoint and you know have provide one simple answer to. But I, I do think we do need a kind of really robust um, long term strategy from the government that looks at education right through to the way we shop. And amazing institutions like the IGD are doing some really great work. Retailers looking at ways that they can encourage healthy behavior through kind of nudge tactics and things like that. So mm. how can we gently push consumers towards buying more vegetables? Do we need to change the placement in store? Things like that. And then, you know, where I come in is obviously working with the food and drink manufacturers and helping them, giving them a platform to produce healthier and more sustainable products. And in an ideal world, which was kind of highlighted national in Henry Dimbley's national food strategy, he suggested that the money that we, we could potentially tax higher sugar and salt foods and then the money from that tax could then be used to kind of subsidize healthier food to make that more affordable and accessible. So there's so many different things that we could do. But I just think the number one thing is collaboration yeah. and, you know, working together to move the dial because I think as soon as we start placing blame on one, you know, one individual, mm. where it's that, that's when it becomes problematic. So yeah. It's a very complicated picture. Yeah, that that blame thing really um, resonates with me because I've seen so much stuff where it's all, you know, like, oh, well, if you will feed your 
kids chicken nuggets and this that and the other and it's mm. like actually there are so many other factors involved that yeah. it's not just about money what well, it is a lot of it is about money um but you know if you live somewhere where you don't have access you haven't got a car so you can't go to a big supermarket and buy all the nice healthy mm. food um you know you just don't have the cash flow to go and do a big exactly. shop you know there's so much that we put as blame on the individual and it it really isn't and and so many other factors I mean don't don't get me started on the whole obesity and you know the the, the debate around it um mm. it, it does feel like too much blame gets put on the individual but again it's it's like anything isn't it it's um money still makes the world go round and the food industry still you know wants to make a profit and that's you know that's the world we live in yeah um so is anything going to change without government legislation probably not you know it's a really really difficult one isn't it what like what's your views on the whole hfss and like I know it, I I I'm, don't feel like I'm close enough to it. This is the thing when we were talking, when we were like chatting on the pre-meet, and I was like, um, "Oh yeah, I did my degree in nutrition," and you were like, "Oh, well, you should totally do this, that, and the other." And I'm like, "25 years ago, like <laughs> really, I'm not close to it now." But I, it was talked about loads. Everybody was stressing and reformulating products, and then it's all gone quiet. Yeah. And that's that's basically what has happened. So okay. no, there is, basically so so HFS. I always would say too many S's. H-F-S-S. I know. It's horrible, isn't it? It's yeah. a horrible acronym. Yeah. I, I have the yeah. same problem. Consumers yeah. have no idea what that means. Like, if I say that to anybody, they're like, what does that mean? Yeah. yeah. I always anyway, say, yeah. like, four S's. I'm like, H-F-S-S-S-S-S. Anyway, right. So that acronym sounds a little high fat salt and sugar and mm-hmm. um yeah you're perfectly right it was kind of those instructions um restrictions were a part of the um obesity strategy where they were brought in to restrict the promotion and placement of high fat salt and sugar foods so in october last year um the first set of restrictions were kind of taken on board so that meant that placement of those foods online and in store couldn't be as front and center as they used to be so you know, things like supermarket aisles, store entrances and checkouts, you may notice now that um, those types of foods aren't there my, anymore. My, my, not- <laughs> my, my Tesco Express, I'm like, I still can't, there's only four aisles in it and I go in it most days and I still can't find anything because they've moved it all and I know that it's because yeah. of H- <laughs> HFS. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But, uh, you know, I'm positive, but it has a positive thing because they that's exactly where they get you. You know, if you put like a, cri- a packet of crisps, mm-hmm. you're in the queue, yeah. that's where you get them. So I, I think that's, you know, been incredibly positive positive and that has kind of last year I think it was a knock-on effect from Boris Johnson his um you know government his his time in in the role and I think he obviously there was a whole thing with he realized that he needs to lose weight I don't know if you remember and then there was kind of this catalyst of him then putting lots of legislation in place around obesity in relation to COVID mm-hmm. so Lots of companies obviously acted to this. They realized that, you know, there were going to be some upcoming HFSS restrictions. So the next set of restrictions were meant to be related to volume. So, for example, buy one, get one free offers and kind of promotions like that. And that has since been delayed. And I believe that may be because of concerns around the cost of living crisis and, you know, those promotions making things technically cheaper, even though the data argues that actually it makes us spend more 
Mm, yeah. very, I think it's more about the loss of volume, isn't it? I mean, it's a huge... Well, it's, it'd be the, it's the economic yeah. impact of that yeah, exactly. for, for yeah. manufacturers, really, yeah. isn't yeah. it, if we're honest? Because yeah. Yeah. It it's the volume. They wouldn't be doing yeah. it if it didn't make people buy more and spend more. And it's such a difficult one because I think mm. they, I don't know if, if that would be, if that was to be something that they would say. So it's, um, I don't want to say they, again, it's a very like provocative and controversial topic. So it's just yeah. so hard. And then, you know, the next restrictions were around advertising. So I don't know if you heard of these ones, but it's after, um, or sorry, before 9pm, there was going to be a ban on advertisements mm. of these types of foods. And that has also been delayed. So mm. It's, it isn't disappointing that these restrictions have been delayed. And I really do think they marked a real sign of change within the food and drink industry, because as I said, it did actually make food and drink manufacturers think about the way they were producing foods and you know, were there things that they could be doing better. Mm-hmm. But the, the other side of it is that even though it has led to a lot of innovation within food companies and ones that you actually wouldn't expect thinking about how can we make this product healthier, which is a positive thing but it doesn't always guarantee that their product's going to be healthy. So that's something that consumers and, you know, food and industry has to watch out for because, you know, you can change your product. It doesn't, that doesn't automatically mean just because it's HFSS compliant that it's healthy. So that's mm, yeah. always going to be a catch-22. Um, but I think, yeah, the dream would be for every drinking company in my in my world to, you know, employ at least kind of one dietitian or nutrition professional in the team so that they can kind of advise on this, you know, the government legislation and really help the company strive to reach health nutrition as well as sustainable goals. It doesn't have to be, you know, a qualified nutrition professional, but, you know, someone who's really passionate about nutrition and health. It would be amazing if all food and drink companies had someone like that in Mm. in their workforce. Yeah. And I think think there probably is that voice, but it's how how much they're heard and how Mm. much they're listened to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's one of your passions as well, isn't it? Getting more dietary. You, you work. You're doing that, doing something in that space yeah. as well. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, so um, I am very fortunate to be the chair of um, the dietitians and industry specialist group. So the B, it's uh, a kind of a, a group um, as part of the BDA. So it's British Dietetic Association. So we have a few, um, I think it's over 20 voluntary specialist groups that dietitians all kind of volunteered to be a part of a committee and are all very interested in a specialty. And um, I really wanted to create one that was industry-led. So um, basically got a committee of, of dietitians working in industry and um, we're really passionate about raising the profile of dietitians and nutrition professionals in industry, kind of cultivating future talent as well so students are interested in industry roles and also to encourage kind of even top down so working with organizations to actually consider more dietitians and nutrition professionals you know as future employees so yeah it's our we actually launched in in march so we haven't been running very long um but we do have a twitter and linkedin so if you if you are interested in kind of seeing what we're up to please do follow us on on those socials so how do they do how do people yeah, what, do that what are you, what's it called yes it's called so on twitter we're bda underscore industry and on linkedin it's bda industry specialist group so um but obviously if you're a dietitian you're a member of the bda and um, you can actually you know become a, a group member as well so you can we will be running hopefully a study day at the end of the year kind of centered around topics related to the food and food and drink industry 
relevant for dietitians and nutrition professionals. And so that could also be something that, you know, if anyone was interested, they could come along to. So I'm hoping that will be in person. Yeah, there'll definitely be people listening that are interested in that because I know I know a lot of people that um, do nutrition or do not dietetics degrees don't always end up in the role that they want to, you know, they end up in an MP, not, not that they don't want to work in MPD, but, you know, yeah. like you say, that those um, pure yeah. roles are few and far between. Yeah. So there's mm. lots of people that would still, you know, would still like to bridge that gap that you're mm. talking about between that MPD knowledge and the nutrition mm. knowledge. Yeah, 100%. And it, it actually, the, the desire to do something like this came from way back when, when I actually was making the jump over from um, clinical to industry. So, you know, I think you, you actually touched on this. It, it, I, it was a big jump. And for me, I just was always passionate about, I didn't want a, another student to feel that way. Because I, mm. really, I, I think I remember when I was looking for industry jobs, I had a spreadsheet of 100 employers and I, I went through them all and just like sent emails to the HR team, anyone that would listen. Mm. And I knew I was going to get more no's than yeses. I knew that. So it was a, it was a lot of setbacks and no's and no mm. return, no emails back. All I needed was one person to say yes. And luckily, you know, the, the person from Abbott did. And um, that then stemmed me on. So I just think it's like you only need that one bit of encouragement just to get yourself out there and so mm. that's kind of a bit of the group like bringing together people that are interested in industry so we're not kind of working in silence alone yeah. we're actually yeah. supporting one it's another. Sort of network again isn't it like making it easier yeah. to find that connection for people yeah. and Maybe. also just not feel alone in that mm. you know because yeah. that 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 real I'm just sat here in awe thinking yeah like, it takes real resilience to do that yes. and and yeah. take those knockbacks it's hard you know and I think me and Lucy were a bit long in, in the tooth and it it wasn't as hard starting out when we started out in yeah. our careers but actually to um you know you're building that support network so that people have that not just at the start of their careers but throughout their careers it, it's yeah you know I really wish there'd been more of that um, Thank you. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. it's also about exposure as well, because you know mm. how how are you meant to know if you like something if you haven't tried it? So yeah. when I when I did the the internship at Detox Kitchen, that was amazing because I was like, wow, this is a completely new world that I would never have realised. And you know, I was very very I was very lucky to, to get that and for them to take me on. So you know, how can we make that easier for people? Because there's so many companies like that that probably could take on an intern for a mm. month. Yeah. Yeah. And, just that little bit of experience could actually set someone on a path that mm, mm. will kickstart their career. Yeah. So, and we need that. Yeah. We, like the industry needs that because we, we haven't got enough people entering the industry. So, mm. you know, it shouldn't be so hard. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So you have got like, you've got so many passion, like it, this is why I get excited talking to you because I, like I said right at the beginning, I can see you're a woman going places. Um, you've got lots and lots of passions and to have real um, sort of clarity on on your purpose and, and the difference that you want to make in, in the health of the nation through what you're doing. But you've got passions, you've got causes. And like you said, a lot of the stuff that you're going to talk about can be... A, a little bit difficult for people to hear or can be quite confronting for people mm -hmm. so talk to us about how you handle that and how you get your voice heard and get your point across because you you want to be a change maker don't you do you know what? it's funny because I was thinking about the answer to some of these kind of questions and, and thinking ahead I just 
completely dived into the whole it's such a big topic of area in terms of like you know the government and food policy and things like that but I do absolutely love it and I think the number one tip that I would say is just number number one try and find your passion and I, I think that's a very privileged thing to do to have a passion and mm. follow that in a career I know that's not easy not everyone can do that so I say it very you know with with genuine intentions and not to discredit anyone that isn't working in their passion because mm. at the end of the day not everyone has to do that but sometimes it can take you 25 years to work out what your passion is <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. And, yeah and to feel fulfilled in work is yeah again an incredible privilege um but I think if you can a lot of like I do find that one one thing that helps guide me is like knowing my values and again I don't want it to be sort of us sitting around a campfire talking about really you know deep stuff but that has really helped me over the years like realizing what my values are so one of them being you know I'm really passionate about following my intuition so that might be that relates to kind of having a voice and, and talking about things that I am really passionate about so I think once you find your passion you can then translate that through to confidence, even if, you know, you don't feel confident at times. I think if you've got a passion that mm. does fuel you in some way and, you know, don't get me wrong, we all suffer with imposter syndrome. You know, <laughs> I, I definitely do. Um, but when I think to myself, oh, God, I feel really nervous or, you know, am I really the right person for this? I always think, well, do you know what? This is what I'm passionate about. And even if it doesn't go well, I know that I'm staying true to, you know, what I want to do. So, I think there's a bit of that. So working on your, your, your passion, looking inwards, a bit of self-awareness and, and trying to build that confidence in, you know, step by step. But then also, I think if you are working in a company and you are passionate about you know, making change and driving impact, I know how hard that can be when you've got a lot of people making decisions above you, to the side of you, but like it's, it's hard. But I think the best you can do is, you know, come forward with evidence and facts and data because a lot of the time if you're speaking to someone who makes decisions they will probably be quite analytical so it's about thinking about how they um you know what what information do they want and thinking about how are you actually going to meet their needs rather than them meeting your needs about thinking about the audience as well so you know speaking to them in, in a way they understand meeting their needs but as i said coming forward with evidence and data so they can actually you know you've got you can back up what you're saying um and then I guess if you are going to obviously share your voice, I, I've always thought about ways to show humility and respect because not everyone's going to share that opinion. So, you know, we live in a world where social media is affecting us. It's in our lives every day, most hours of the day, and everyone has an opinion about things. So I think whilst it's good to share that voice, we obviously do need to be respectful of other people's voices and, you know, um, yeah, just stay stay true to yourself. But mm. um, Yeah. Yeah, so really about think it's it's all the stuff that me and Lucy talk about all the time, like thinking about what your audience wants to hear. Yeah. And the way they want to hear it, you know, do they want facts and figures? Do they want vision? And yeah. we, we always talk about, you know, like if you're presenting products to um like a foodie versus a commercial person, it's the same sort of concept, isn't yeah. it? It's just thinking about that differently. Definitely. But yeah, and yeah, oh well, sorry. I was just okay. gonna add to that. I think with with people as well, I think obviously when you work in a company, at the end of the day, you're just talking from people to people. So you can almost like take away the business side of it and actually just think as a human to human, how can I really communicate with this person? And that can often, you know, take a bit of time to get to know them. But then if you take that time and really understand them you know, you can build that relationship and mm. that helps to move the dial, especially if you, you know, do have an agenda and you a, a positive agenda and you want to make a positive impact. 
that can definitely help. Yeah. Mm. So, oh, 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 so much about that sort of influencing skills, isn't it? It's the yeah, yeah, the network, the the people connection. I yeah. can see that that's a real strength of of what you're doing and how you're you're gonna make these changes in the world that you're determined to see happen. Mm. So talk, so talk to us about that. What's your vision then for the future for the, for health in food? Yeah, I think, I mean, I know that it's, you know, I, I'm, I can pick back the moment I said I'm a one-man band and I've just hired a, an amazing intern. So I'm very happy about that. But, you know, so it's not as if what I'm saying, you know, I can make a huge impact at the moment. But, you know, if I can yes. make a little bit, yes. if, if I can make a little bit of a change, that's that makes, you know, that's what gets, gets me up every morning. So I think, you know, my wider vision is that all food and drink companies consider health and sustainability in their core strategy. I do think that is definitely happening a lot more nowadays, but, you know, it's, it's about putting in the strategy without actually, you know, walking the talk. So, or, you know, do, doing the actual things that people, mm. are, the companies are setting out to do. Um, and then I suppose, as consumer demand is growing for healthier and more sustainable options, you know, it's supporting that momentum behind it. And I do think that will then change, like, you know, and force change for good across all sectors of force um, of food and drink. So I think it's about maintaining that momentum and creating new and exciting products and, you know, not talking about healthy food and drink products in a way that it seems flat or boring because health doesn't have to be boring. It can actually be really fun and exciting. So using my marketing skills, I suppose, and working with brands and, and working on that and helping them stand out and, and stand out for, for something that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just think it would be great to live in a world where I understand that there's a role for, you know, all food and drinks, nothing really should be off the table, especially as a dietitian. We always say everything in moderation. So as mm-hmm. I said, it's not about being anti, you know, us, us versus them or whatever. I think it's just about, actually can we live in a future where more food and drink companies take responsibility for for the impact they're having on population's health mm. on population's yeah. health and, and and endeavor to do the right thing um so you know which then titrates through to the product they sell right the way down to then obviously their marketing and then that's where i i come in so yeah i think it's that's the kind of the long-term goal and if, as i said if i can have a small little impact on that 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 would be amazing but <laughs> it's talking to amazing you know people like yourselves and other amazing you know change makers in the industry you mentioned louis like at mission ventures they are you know doing that as well investing yeah. in, in healthier yeah. product food and drinks so you know as a collective it's really exciting that these things are happening yeah i think you're 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 downplaying yourself at the minute <laughs> yeah, the, the, the little bit of impact yeah. that you're gonna make i think you're gonna make a make a huge impact um oh, thank you and i'm looking forward to it unfolding yeah very exciting and and i hadn't i hadn't spoken to you before today and i know we're going to speak afterwards but this has been like so insightful and i'm you I think this is one of the, like, considering you approached Amy and was like, hey, I could come on the podcast. <laughs> you know, you've got, you've got so much to offer the industry and yeah. the skill set that you've you. got is really exciting. And I'm sure that a lot of people that are listening are going to be really excited to get in touch with you. Thank you. 
So when we had the, the pre-meet call that we had last week, Corin, I got off it and I sent Lucy a message um, straight away saying, she's going to be a brilliant guest and you're going to love her. And then I loved it because I didn't really say much more. And then <laughs> and then when she was like, I'm going to write this down, I knew, I knew the client that you were going to be thinking of. But as well, um, Louis ha- had messaged me introducing us saying, you must speak to Corin. And I was like, she's oh. coming on the podcast. So like, everybody's telling me I've got to speak to you. <laughs> you know, and for people listening, it's that power of network, isn't it? So, yeah. Uh, it is. Yeah. And, and Louis, Louis was like, you have to speak to Lucy and Amy. And I was like, I'm coming on the podcast. And like, vice versa. I was like, oh, it's already done. <laughs> That's brilliant. So, so yeah, it's, it's connection, especially in the food industry but, and, and drink industry, because it's such a small, it is quite small still. And yeah. I think if you can make it build a great network, everyone's so supportive and they just yeah. want to see good yeah. things happen. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. So on that note, how do people get in touch with you? Yes, so you can reach me via my website, so www.chickpeamarketing.com, um, or you can follow me on LinkedIn um, at CorinToynRD, or I'd be super grateful if you'd give me a follow on Instagram um, at chickpeamarketing, um, where I sort of regularly post updates on marketing and um, food and drink industry-related uh, insights. So, yeah. Great. Well, I'm following you in all of those places, and um, yeah, I, I really look forward to seeing your continuing journey. So. Thank, thank you, you so much for coming on. And, yeah, thank you very um, much, Karen. It's been really brilliant. Thank yeah. you. Oh, thank and, you. It's been wonderful. And we will see you next time, see everyone. See you next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that this has been useful to you. As ever, we would love it if you could rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. It really does help us reach and support more foodies out there. We'd also love it if you'd come and join us in the Facebook group, the O for Food Sake community. And if you want to get in touch with us personally, Lucy is available for consultancy advice and training and can be found on LinkedIn as Lucy Wager. And if you want to reach out to Amy for any one-to-one coaching, group facilitation or training, then contact her on LinkedIn at Amy Wilkinson Coach. Thanks for listening and see you next time. See you next time. podcast is sponsored by Damo Ingredients, who provide best-in-class functional ingredients such as starches, proteins, fibres and gums, to name but a few, into food manufacturers across the UK and Ireland. I've worked with Damo on various projects for my own brand and with my clients, and what I love about working with them is their in-depth technical knowledge and their ability to apply that to the specific products that you're actually working on. So they become an extension to your own development team, supporting them with their knowledge from concept through to launch. To find out more, visit www.dama.com.